So the scripture this morning is Romans chapter 12, verse 2. If you could stand for the reading of God's word. It says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. The word of the Lord. Thank you. You may be seated. And of course, that follows this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. And because of that, we're not to be... We're not... What, Julie? Oh. Did I forget something? I'm a horrible lip reader. Just shout it out. I... Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. So I got off track there for a minute. By the way, uh, some of you have already asked me about uh, this. This is coffee. I didn't sleep very well last night, so no, that's not. It's it's a it's going to be a object lesson of sorts a little later on. Do not be do not be conformed any longer. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. When you stop to think about it, in the world we live in, there really is a lot of pressure to conform. Um, There's some ways of thinking, um, some paradigms that are different than ours, some perspectives on critical biblical moral issues that we are being encouraged to conform to. And if you don't conform to that way of thinking, um, you stand... Um, with the potential of being criticized, uh, being called mean-spirited, unloving. There's a lot of things that could be directed your way if you don't conform to the the world's way of thinking about things. But God tells us that that's not what we're supposed to do, are we? We're to conform our thinking to what the Scripture says about things that are going on in our world. Um, Charles Swindoll, in his book, Living Above the Level of Mediocrity, shared this um, in that book. He said, A few years ago, psychologist Ruth W. Berenda and her associates carried out an interesting experiment with teenagers designed to show how a person handled group pressure. The plan was simple. They brought groups of teen adolescents into a room for a test. Subsequently, each group of ten was instructed to raise their hands when the teacher pointed to the longest line on three separate charts. So there would be more than one line, and um, uh, they were supposed to respond when the teacher pointed to the longest line. Okay. Okay. 
when one person in, what, what one person in the group did not know was that nine of the others in the room had been instructed ahead of time to vote for the second longest line. Regardless of the instructions they heard, once they were all together in the group, the nine were not to vote for the longest line, but rather vote for the next to longest line. Okay? The experiment began with nine teenagers voting for the wrong line. The one who was not in the loop, the stooge, would typically glance around, frown in confusion, and slip up his hand with the rest of the group, even though he knew that wasn't the longest line. The instructions were repeated, then the next card was raised time after time. The self-conscious one would sit there saying a short line is longer than a long line simply because he lacked the courage to challenge the group. This remarkable conformity occurred in about 75% of the cases and was true of small children and high school students as well. Peer pressure. I know that line's longer, but they're... Okay, I'll say it's the longest line. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. James Montgomery Boyce translates the phrase like this. Do not let the age in which you live force you into its scheme of thinking and behaving. Feel any pressure to do that? The New Century Version says, do not be shaped by this world. The New International Reader's Version says, do not live any longer the way this world lives. The message says, don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. J.B. Phillips says, don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold. Do not conform. Do not let your behavior be shaped by the standards of this present age. Or, in other words, do not fashion yourself after the world. Do you see what the Apostle Paul is driving at in this phrase? He is affirming that the world has its own way of thinking and doing things. There's other places where he calls it the vain philosophy or the human thinking of our world. It's stuff that mankind has come up with, not that has come from God. But the Bible does present God's way for Christians to think and do things. Paul's saying that Christians are not to think and act like the world. It, this, this has its context... Um, in terms of a craftsman who makes two identical objects at the same time. So the, so the idea in, verse, in this verse, verse 2 of Romans chapter 12, leads us to believe that humans fashion themselves after something. We're going to think a certain way. And we see a choice presented in this verse. We can either be identical to the things in the world around us or identical to something else. We can be fashioned like the world around us or we can be fashioned like something else. 
The Bible teaches us in Romans chapter 8, verse 29, that those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Romans 8, 29 tells us to be conformed to the likeness of God's Son, Jesus Christ. Um, many of you know that uh, I was a biological science major in college. So I liked those programs on television, you know, uh, Planet Earth. Um, Discovery Channel a few years back did something called Life. Um, and, you know, they'll, they'll take you to different places on the planet or they'll fe- feature certain animals and be- their behaviors. And one of the interesting creatures that they featured from time to time is the chameleon. Uh, they have a tongue. Uh, they're interesting. They have a tongue that can extend a long ways out to stick to prey and haul it in. Uh, their eyes move independently of each other. That's kind of interesting to watch. But maybe the thing that they're most noted for, no, most noted for, is their ability to change color and blend in with their background so that they're camouflaged. They have the ability to change color no matter where they are. They conform to their surroundings. Now, for for a chameleon, that that ability is a good thing. If you're trying to catch a a big old praying mantis that, you know, is on your food list, and you look like the leaves that you're hiding in, that praying mantis isn't going to see you. You You have a better chance of, you know... For chameleons, that ability is a good thing. For Christians, it is not. The word we translate conform is a, or conformed is a combination of two Greek words. The first word is me, M-E, which means not. The second word is suschema tezithi. So schema tezithi, which means with this age. Me, so schema tezithi, me, not, me, which means not, and so schema tezithi, which means with this age. Not with this age. So, if you look at what commentators would say about the combination of those two words coming together, they would say, do not fall in with the external and fleeting fashions of this age, nor be yourselves fashioned by them. Now, when we talk about fashion, we're not just talking about these really sharp-looking clothes I'm wearing. And that they only look sharp because my wife buys them for me. Cause, and I have daughters at home. And there was a lot of conforming to do. (laughs) True. They used to hide the stuff they didn't want me to wear. I'll tell you that story sometime. Do not fall in with the external and fleeting fashions of this age, nor be yourselves fashioned by them. Think for a moment about the Greek word, Suschema tezithi. Suschema tezithi. 
Is there anything about that word that sounds familiar to you? Come on, there's something in there that's got to sound familiar. Suschema. Scheme. We get our world scheme and schematic from this Greek word. Um, Someone who builds or works with uh, electronics is familiar with schematics. That's the plan or the diagram that shows how each component is connected so that the device works properly. If you're assembling a radio, you better be sure it conforms to the schematic. If you want to mess with someone's mind or just have a little fun with them or sabotage their efforts, just, you know, out of meanness, switch their schematic with the one designed for a different model than they're assembling. The Bible warns us that the devil... The prince of this darkened world has switched schematics on us. He has a plan for us that will lead us away from God if we conform to its design. We have to follow a different design and conform to God's schematic. Here it is. Right here. God's schematic. And folks, we cannot conform to two different schematics. You can't take part of one and part of the other. Yet that's exactly exactly what some Christians try to do. We pick things from God's schematic that we kind of like the sound of. That's okay with me. And use some things from Satan's schematic, although we would never call it that, that we like. We have excuses for doing it this way, like, well, that's not what the Scripture really means. Or, well, that was for people that lived way back then. Things are different now. Um, I know some here have served in the military, and I understand that in the military there's huge conformity. That's what's expected. Uh, There's a military way of doing things, and that's how you're expected to do it, because it's the right way. The Army way, the Marine way, the Air Force way, the Navy way, the Coast Guard way, that's the way to do it. You don't get a choice of which orders to follow, and you don't get to do your own thing. Uh, The same applies to the rules of sports. We don't get to choose to follow some rules and not others. I used to officiate uh, high school soccer. And um, people didn't always like it, but when they broke the rules, they got called on it. You don't get to choose which ones you follow. God's rules for living are like that. We don't get to follow some and not others. We must not be swayed by pressure from the culture around us. Well, that's okay. That's not. This is, you know what I'm saying. Exodus 23, verse 2. Do not follow the crowd in doing wrong. When you give testimony in a lawsuit, do not pervert justice by siding with the crowd. 2 Corinthians 6, 17 and 18 Therefore come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you. I will be father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. First John, John chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. 
For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father, but from the world. So we don't get it, we either do it God's way or we don't. You don't mix the two. Do not conform any longer. Paul's writing to the Romans here. A lot of these people are brand new Christians. The whole thing of Jesus and salvation is new to them. And so he's saying, first of all, because of what Jesus has done for you, I want you to offer your body. This is the gift you give back to God. Your body is a living sacrifice. But here's what you also need to think about. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world the way you used to live. Any longer. Do not conform any longer. There's a point where we must decide to stop. We've got to decide to stop living the world's way and start living God's way. This is called repentance. Repentance. It's, it's an, basically, repentance is an about face. If you're walking in conform to the world, basically what Paul's saying is you're walking this way, we decide to walk God's way, it's got to be an about face. You can't do this any longer, and there's no way to keep a foot in both worlds. I don't know how you can walk both directions at the same time. It seems like it would tear you apart. And it probably does. Somewhere along the line, there has to be a turning point. That's what Paul's saying any longer. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. What are the patterns of this world? Well, let me highlight a few. The first one is materialism. The first one's materialism. Materialism is the world's view that says the one with the most toys wins. You've, seen, you've probably seen that on bumper stickers. Or he who dies with the most toys wins. I have a feeling that when you die, you will not give a flying flip about how much junk you have. My district superintendent used to say, when you're on your deathbed, there will only be two things important to you. Your relationship with your family and your relationship with Jesus. You will not care if you have that car you always wanted parked out in your driveway. Wasn't it Swindoll that says, I've never seen a hearse pulling a, U- a, hearse pulling a U-Haul trailer? You can't take it with you. Materialism can be summed up in one word, more. Materialism says that the only thing that really matters in life is acquiring stuff. Jesus gives gives us an example of materialism in Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 21. Luke 12, 13 through 21. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. I just think about how families get split apart over stuff like this. Tell my brother 
to divide the inheritance with me. But Jesus said to him, Man, who made me judge or arbitrator over you? Then Jesus told him a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully, and he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. I thought Omar Khayyam said that. Did you guys take that literature? Anyway. But but God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Jesus' response to materialism, which he calls covetousness, is given in Luke 12, 15. Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. By the way, that's one of the patterns of this world that we're... we're You've got to believe this. Your life is measured by how big your house is or, you know, that kind of thing. Or how much land you own or I've got a nicer boat than you do. Or I have more money in the bank or, 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 or. Do not be conformed to this world of materialism. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions but rather in being rich toward God. Another worldly pattern, narcissism. This, narcissism, narcissism is the world view that says it's about me. It's all about me. Me, 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 me. We live in a me first, serve yourself world that says it's all about you. Commercial slogans cater to this viewpoint, and you've heard them. Have it your way. We do it all for you. Obey your thirst. You've got, to, you've got to think of what's best for yourself, and you deserve it. For, for the last 60 years, the baby boomer generation has been called the me generation. And for example, narcissism, it, it's torn up marriages. It, it's illustrated by the person who says, I don't care how di- divorce impacts my spouse or children, it's about me. Of course, it's not usually stated so crossly, but that's an underlying thought or motivation. When a person will not honor his or her vow of staying married for better or for worse, but wants to get out of the marriage for personal reasons, it's usually because of narcissism. And it has ruined churches. People come into church and say, what are you going to do for me? The church isn't meeting my needs. Frankly, these are often the people who are not involved in any meaningful ministry in the church. If you press them, they will say, well, listen, I have a really busy schedule and I don't have time. And the pattern... No matter where it is, in the family, in the church, or anywhere else, 
is, is a self-centered, individualistic way of life that says our needs and desires should be served at the expense of others. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Did you hear that deny part? For whoever would save his life would his life for my sake to find it. Do not be conformed to this world of narcissism. Jesus says you only begin to live when you give your life away. Significance in life comes not from The next pattern of this world is hedonism. How do you like all these things? Hedonism is a worldview that says, do what feels good, or if it feels good, do it. Hedonism is the belief that the most important thing in life is to play. The number one goal of hedonism is to feel good become worldview that you have to found a faithful man. Be willing willingly acknowledge And you don't have to look very far to see living examples. It's those folks who live for the weekend so they can go have fun. They have a favorite recreational activity, maybe more than one that they seek to enjoy as many Saturdays and Sundays as they want. The Bible's answer to Hedonism is found in Proverbs It says, you're addicted to thrills? What an empty life. The, ple- the pursuit of pleasure is never satisfied. Do not be conformed to this world of Hedonism. You guys know who the Rolling Stones are? Mick Jagger? I can't get no satisfaction. Why? Because the pursuit of pleasure is never satisfied. Another pattern of this world is relativism. Relativism is the worldview that says, true for you, but not for me. The worldview, this worldview says it doesn't matter if it's right or wrong. It doesn't matter if it hurts anybody else or not. If it works for you, fine. So if it's right for you, it could be wrong for me. If it's wrong for you, it could be right for you. I always get confused about that. How do you figure that out? In our culture today, this is a very popular worldview. Nobody wants to tell someone else that what they are doing might be wrong. In fact, that's the only way you can be wrong in our society today is if you tell someone else they're wrong. By the way, do you get the sense that our national We're finding stuff all the time. Every week in the news, we're finding new stuff to be outraged about. 
something that some guy did years ago in high school. They may have changed their, their thinking about it totally now, but it's, we're out there. I mean stuff that to me isn't worth discussing sometimes we're outraged about. Some years ago, Professor Alan Bloom of the University of Chicago wrote a book called The Closing of the American Mind in which he said this, there is one thing a professor can be absolutely certain of. Almost every student entering the university believes or says he believes that truth is relative. There's no absolute truth. And he, what that book set out to prove that is that education is impossible in such a climate. People can learn skills, of course. You can learn to drive a truck, work a computer, handle financial tra transactions, read a book, and do scores of other things. But real education, which means learning to sift through error to discover what is true, good, and beautiful is impossible because the goals of real education, truth, goodness, and beauty do not exist because there is no such thing as absolute truth. It could be truth, goodness, and beauty to you, but not to me. And even if they did exist in some far-off never-never land, it would be impossible to find them because it requires absolute even to discover absolute. Proverbs 14:12 says this, and it says it more than once. It says it in another chapter too, or chapter maybe it in verse in chapter 15 or 16, but it says the exact same thing. But this is Proverbs 14:12. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Or there's a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is destruction. That's how I. See. The fact is that there is truth in the world and it is found in God. Anyone who opposes God and the earth will discover not. You don't like to hear that kind of thing, but that's Do not be conformed to this world of relativism. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except me. There are not many ways to heaven. Even if the gall to say A nationwide survey conducted by the Bible Group among the representatives of the adults for how many have what might be called or considered a biblical world. For the purposes of the survey, a biblical world is Bible is totally accurate in all of the things that Satan is considered to be a real being or force and not merely to God. A person cannot earn his or her way into heaven by trying to be Jesus Christ lived a sinless life on earth and God is the all-knowing, all-powerful creator of the world who still lives in today. That was, those were the elements of the biblical worldview. In the research, anyone who held all those beliefs was said to have a biblical worldview. Overall, the current research revealed that among born-again Christians, less than one out of every five persons, 19% actually agreed with all those things. That's 
Not surprisingly, the Barna research found that adults without a biblical worldview and those with such a worldview and those with such a worldview have vastly different ideas of immoral and unethical behavior. Those with a biblical worldview and those without. For instance, those without a biblical worldview were around 100 times more likely to endorse abortion. 46% of those without a biblical worldview believed it to be okay, compared to less than 1% of those with a biblical worldview. Around 80 times those without a, without a biblical worldview, around 80 times more likely to say exposure to, to pornography is morally acceptable. 31 times more likely to believe living together before marriage is morally acceptable. 15 times more likely to believe that homosexual sex is acceptable. 18 times more likely to endorse drunkenness. 12 times more likely to accept profanity. 11 times more likely to say adultery is okay. 8 times more likely to gamble by purchasing lottery. So, the primary reason that people do not act like Jesus is because they do not think like Jesus says Barna. Behavior stems from what we think. Maybe that's why Paul said, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Behavior stems from what we think, our attitudes, beliefs, values, and opinions. So, Paul says, be transformed. The word we translate transformed is metamorphosis or something like that. Metamorphosis. Yeah, that word does sound familiar, doesn't it? We're un- to undergo a metamorphosis that changes us within. Now, most of us are, if you paid attention when I was teaching my biology class, you would know this stuff. Biological metamorphosis, physical life forms that transform. The larva or the caterpillar enters the pupa or cocoon stage and eventually becomes an adult, which is a butterfly or a moth in some cases. Or an egg grows into a tadpole that lives only in water and breathes with gills and has a tail. Soon it grows lungs and legs. The gills and tail are absorbed into the body and you have a frog. But we need to understand metamorphosis theologically. It is the word translated in Matthew 17.2 and Mark 9.2, transfigured. It says, There he, Jesus, was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. The the word also appears in 2 Corinthians 3.18, where it's translated, transformed. The verse says, We who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into His likeness with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is in the Spirit. Butterflies and frogs have no choice. Metamorphosis is built into their DNA. But spiritual metamorphosis isn't automatic. It, just, it doesn't just happen to us. 
It is a result of cooperation and conformity with God's Spirit working in us through His Word. Be transformed by the renewing of our minds. The word renewing from the Greek, or the word renewing in the Greek is anakinosis. Anakinosis, which means to renovate. Our minds are to be renovated. Maybe you've seen one of those house renovation programs on HGTV like uh, Fixer Upper or Julie and I discovered one recently called the Boise Boys and since I grew up in Idaho I thought let's watch it and it's a couple of Christian guys you know they go in and transform houses. Well, in order to renovate a house you have to demolish the demolish the parts you don't want. In fact, uh, you know, uh, What's his name? Gaines. Uh, Chip Gaines. You know, he always talks about that being his favorite part. His demolishing day. Something has to go. So you tear it out, often with some effort. Those parts that you don't want anymore. In order to renovate or renew a house, there's a removal process that has to take place first. And it's similar to, re- to renovating your mind. Some things have to go. Views or opinions or beliefs or habits of the mind. We must tear them out and demolish those things in our minds that are based on human philosophy and thinking rather than on the truth of Scripture. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 through 24. Ephesians 4, 22 through 24. You are taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created by, to be like God in true righteousness and faith. Renovation, basically a process of demolition and remodeling so that the finished product doesn't look at all like what you started with. Uh, you've seen that Chip and Joanna pull the thing apart and it's like, oh, that doesn't even look like the house we pulled. Then they walk inside and, oh. How do we renovate our minds? Well, I've said it before. Here it is. Here, that's why I have the coffee up here. This is an untransformed mind. Okay. It's filled with the world's way of thinking. So what do we do? Well... To renew our minds, we begin, we begin uh, uh, absorbing the truth into our lives, reading Scripture. We believe what God says. We believe that this is absolute truth. So we begin, we begin pouring the truth into our lives. Do you see a change taking place there? another picture and I kept pouring the truth into that, what would happen? It would be clear, wouldn't it? That would be, well, that's, that's, that's a living or 
of object lesson of, of what happens in our minds as we begin to put the truth in and, and place of the lies the worldly thinking that we bought into and you just continue to put the truth of God's word into that you begin to see the changes taking place and eventually that will be clear you'll be a person of the truth not the lies of our world Hebrews 4.2 for the word of God is living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit joints and marrow it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scriptures God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, Whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is anything of excellence, and if anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. Where is that found? Right here. You're not conforming any longer to the pattern of this world, but you're transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and prove what God's will is, which good speaking and perfect will knowing God's will. The one who has been transformed is the one who can find and do God's will. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 through 16. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness. you believe that crazy stuff? The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to to merely human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. See, that's what a, a, a renewed mind is. We have the mind of Christ. How do we know? Well, we have the mind of Christ. It's written for us. It's, it's put down right here. This is This is how God thinks. This is how God views us. This is how God views sin. This is how God views righteousness. This is how God views the world. This is the mind of Christ. Right here. From beginning to end. We think, well, wait a minute. Jesus didn't come to the New Testament. No, Jesus has always been. What Scripture tells us that the, what was created was created through Jesus Christ. He's always been. We can have the mind of Christ. That's a transformed mind. That's a renewed mind. But we can't have it if we don't spend time here. You know, it's like, God, give me renewed mind. Shazam, it's done. No, it doesn't work that way. By the renewing, it's an ongoing process. We've got to keep pouring water into this thing. Sometime, someday it'll clear up. Amen? 
Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but re- be renewed by be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and improve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Listen, when we come up to these challenges in life, or these things that we're confronted with in our culture, we have to know what God's will is. I pray. I hope. I pray for that. I. I there are things like. Um, I'm trying to pray away abortion. There's no doubt in my mind about that one. Okay? Um, And a lot of other issues that we're confronted with right now. Um, You know, the immigration issue. That one's not as clearly spelled out in here as the abortion issue. So, God, I want your mind in this. I want to see, I want you to, I want to see this situation the way you see it. So I'm going to keep pouring the word into my mind, and I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to give me wisdom and clarity on this. I'm concerned that too many of our leaders aren't asking those kinds of questions. God Folks, if we're going to be the light and salt in our world that God has called us to be, the agents of godly change, we have to be people of the truth. We have to be people with transformed, renewed minds. People of God's truth. Amen? Father, thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you that your truth has not changed. There's a metamorphosis that should take place in our our lives, but your your Word doesn't do that. It doesn't change from one thing into another. We can't say, well, 2,000 years ago, that might have been good stuff, but today it's a whole different world and it really doesn't apply. No, you... You are a timeless God. You knew what it would be like in 2019. You knew that the heart of man, the heart of man has not changed from the beginning. I mean, we might dress it up differently. There might be cultural changes. But at heart, man has not changed. The word is as applicable today as the day it was written. The truth is truth. And you've called us to live by it and to allow our minds to be transformed by it. And I pray that we will have a commitment to allow your word to do its renewing, transforming work in us so that we can be the witnesses in this world, the Jesus-following, Jesus-serving people that you've called us to be. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.